From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I'm Kyle Wenzel. And I am excited, and Kyle is excited, to be back with you for another episode this week. And as we told you last week, we have our guest, Lucas Miles, back. And in case you don't know who he is or didn't listen to last week's episode, I encourage you, before you listen to this episode, that you listen to the previous episode because it really he really sets up this discussion about progressive Christianity and all the things that we're talking about. And we left off at a certain point, and we'll get into that. But I just kind of want to go over briefly who Lucas is so that you understand. He is the host of Faith Wires, the Lucas Miles Show, and the co-host of the Church Boys podcast. His work has been featured in TV, radio programs. He's had syndicated articles in such things like The Blaze, Faith Wire, Fox News, CBN, Bible Gateway, The Christian Post. He is also a church planter, and he's planted churches in the U.S. and in some remote locations in Latin America, East Africa, Asia. And he's also a pastor at his own church, Influence Church, and that influence is the letter N and then Fluence Church with his wife, Chrissy. They planted that church in 2004. He's also, like we told you last time, super busy, but we got him back again today. Lucas is known for his work in Hollywood producing films and offering confidential pastoral support to many up-and-coming and established actors and artists. He has directed and produced several nationally released films, including Rodeo Girl, Crowning Jewels, The Penitent Thief. Also, he has had a lot of his work has been featured on Netflix, Showtime, Fox, Redbox, Sony, Pureflix, all the places. Uh, Lucas is also a sought-after speaker at colleges, conferences, churches on the topics of theology, Christian living, politics, and media. He's also author of of two books. Uh, One is Good God, the one we want to believe in, but are afraid to embrace. Also, The Christian Left. This is his newest book, the one we're talking about today again, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. And Lucas is back with us again. Thanks, Lucas, for coming back on the uh, Thinking Out Loud podcast. Hey, absolutely. And thanks for thanks for working through my bio. That's 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 what happens when you pay your publicist good money is they they make up all that great stuff. About <laughs> well, it was we, worth every penny. Yes. Well, <laughs> and, and guys, I'll say this at the beginning, but I'll say this at the end, too. It's lucasmiles.org. So if you want to check out his books, all the other things he's got going on. Also, he's on all the socials, so just just check him out, Lucas Miles. But last time, Lucas, we were talking, we kind of teased our, our listeners, we kind of ended talking a little bit about my story of my daughter and kind of her not realizing how her teacher was gearing her towards doing a hit piece on women speaking in the church. And you kind of teased us and said, hey, I think I want to talk about that a little bit. And so... After reading your very long bio, I realized you're probably somebody we should talk to about that. So talk <laughs> to us a little bit about, so, and this was kind of big. A few months ago, I think it's safe to say it was a few months ago now, there was this buzz around women speaking in the church. Someone had come out, and I can't even remember at the, at the moment, who said something. I think it may have been John Piper or someone. I can't remember. And I think, was, uh, I think it was MacArthur in that oh, one. John MacArthur. Yeah, yes. So. Yes. It was John MacArthur. And it kind of got some people in uproar. We, you know, we had Beth Moore come out and say some things and, and some of the other leading women. And yeah, this, this has been a thing in the church. And so we, we talked last time about being biblical, 
in getting back to, you know, what the Bible actually says. And so talk about that a little bit, and we'll get into some other things, but talk a little bit about women speaking in the church. How do we get so far off thinking that's a crazy concept? So, and first off, yes, awesome to be back on. Love you guys' show. Just really enjoyed the first time through. So excited to dive in here and see where we go. Secondly, one of the reasons I wanted to address this topic is, you know, I, I don't write about this in the Christian left. So we're, we're kind of, you know, taking a moment to step outside of my book to address something here that I think is, is but it plays into this progressive Christianity aspect, because as we talked about in the last episode, is that you kind of feel like you have this choice when you read passages like women should be silent or, you know, something like that. Because you either have to take a fundamentalist view, which is what a guy like MacArthur, you know, has has taken, mm-hmm. or you have to take more of a progressive view is the temptation to basically say, well, you know, I, I just don't think this passage is contextually relevant today. And so I'm going to cross it out. So what else do we do, get to do that with? You know, well, we can do it now about homosexuality. We can do it about, you know, whatever we want to cross out, we can therefore then cross out. And so there's that challenge. and. And I'll also say this to frame it, and this I do address in the book, is that there are, you know, I have a very wide view of orthodoxy. You know, I mean this in, you know, the wide sense, but a liberal view of orthodoxy, not liberal as in left, but liberal as in a wide expanse, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, I think you can be an Episcopal or a Methodist or a Baptist or an Assemblies of God Christian or non-denominational or Church of Christ, and you can be in orthodoxy. Why? And I talk about in the book that orthodoxy, you know, you know, we're we're Midwesterners here. So we we understand the Great Lakes, right? And if you go oh, to the yeah. Great Lakes and you go out to the beach, which I will say we have the better beach on our side here with Lake Michigan, what <laughs> you guys have. So uh and that's not even like there's not even a debate there. You know it, right? Yeah. And so the uh you know, I go out to Lake Michigan in the summer. I'm about 30, 35 minutes away from there. And and you have these big buoys that float out on the water, you know, and so they're just out there floating on the surface of the water. And what is a buoy? It's basically this flotation of some sort to give a, a, a demarcation of where maybe shallow hits, you know, the deep. And, and then it has some sort of cabling or chain or rope that would then tie to an anchor on the bottom. And, and it's going to float in this circle. And what I describe in the book is that circle that floats, you know, if, the, if we look at the faith in this way as the buoy. That circular flotation is orthodoxy. Now, on a certain issue, you might be kind of on that left side of the float. I might be on the right side of the float. Somebody else might be in the middle, whatever. I mean, a perfect world, that buoy would never move. We'd know exactly where the cable is. We'd know exactly where the foundation is below it. And it would just, you know, in, in, if, if it were frozen there, that's what it would do. But we live in a very fluid world, you know, where there are things that uh, at uh, even even Augustine talks about the ambiguity of certain passages of scripture, you know, that and here's a guy who really, you know, is responsible for really establishing a large portion of what we know as Christian orthodoxy and really spelling it out for people. And I like to claim Augustine as really, you know, a great evangelical and not just a Catholic, you know, because of his his views. And he he talks about this ambiguity of certain passages. So you can have, when, when I'm talking about the progressive church, I'm not talking about whether or not somebody believes in a pre-trib rapture or post, or whether or not they let women preach or they don't, or whether or not they believe in speaking in tongues or they don't. These are, are and people don't like this term, but they are secondary issues. Yes. There are, you know, primary issues, the divinity, the trinity, yes. uh, um, you know, eternal life, heaven and hell, the virgin birth, the, you know, the authority of, of scripture. These are non-negotiables and they never, they, there's zero ambiguity around those issues in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, we could read the book of Revelation and struggle through it. And I could make an argument for either case. I've done this before, although I have a very established view on this, I won't reveal it on the show, but maybe offline if you guys want to know, but the, cause I just don't want to make it a point of contention, not because I don't think it's worth talking about. But, you know, we could make arguments for I could defend a once saved, always saved or a position of you can lose your salvation. I could defend both of those biblically. Mm-hmm. OK, now, which one do I hold to? I, I think the, the, the you know, the moment you have to even ask the question, 
there's something wrong with your view of salvation because what are you trying to do this weekend that you want to know whether or not you can lose your salvation, right? right. You know, I mean, yes. you got a trip to Vegas plan, like what's going on here that you're trying to figure this out for? So, you know, the, the simple answer is we relate to sin as if we can lose our salvation. We relate to God as if we can't, you know, that, yes. that solves it all. Right. And so, yes. but we could have a different view of That's those good. things and still be, I believe, smack dab within this greater Christian orthodoxy. Is there a hundred percent right believing somewhere out there? Yes, but none of us are in it. As one pastor said, 15% of what I believe is wrong. I just don't know which 15% it is. And so if I knew which 15% it was, I'd get rid of it. I root it out, you know, but we, we are, we're growing in this. So none of us have perfect theology. And this is not about, you know, being a a Pharisee and demanding that people have theology exactly like mine, because I know that there's areas that I probably see, you know, poorly, but I don't have questions about the central tenets to Christianity. And when we see people distance themselves from those things, that is when we have to start speaking out. So, but for the sake of conversation here and to kind of reveal the tease from, from the last episode. So for instance, there's multiple passages where Paul specifically is dealing with women in the church. I'll look here at the first Corinthians 14 one. And, and, and again, this is something that people stumble over. I am, I grew up in a denomination that did not have women teachers that did not have women elders. My church. Now we, you know, we don't have a problem. My wife has, has, you know, taught on plenty of Sunday mornings and I have zero issue with that. Why? Because I believe that scripture shows us women leaders. First of all, we see them in the old covenant. We see, you know, Deborah and Esther and different people. And they may go, oh, Esther wasn't teaching in the church. Well, Deborah was. I mean, yes. she was she was a judge. She was leading Israel She's in one of the highest, you know, yeah. Yeah, positions. Exactly. And even in the New Testament, I mean, we see multiple people that, you know, multiple females. There is a reference in Romans 16, 7 to a character named uh, Unius. And it's a, it's interesting. That name was masculinized. masculinized. There we go. I'm an author. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Even when you write for a living, you have trouble speaking sometimes. Um, you know, it, it's that name was basically converted into a masculine form for a long time within Bible translations until they, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, other things kind of, you know, over time, they started looking at this and it's a feminine word. And so the name is Unia, or the, the name is actually uh, in the feminine, but it was, it's listed in some of the, uh, some translations masculine. And so it's, it's, Paul is referencing this person who is an apostle, mm-hmm. who it was a fellow coworker that is a, a teacher in the church. And these things we see, you know, Priscilla and Aquila ministering to Apollos and, and, you know, having, you know, basically, you know, teaching these great, you know, leaders and we see really, you know, Priscilla take a lead role in that. So there's so many examples of women in the New Testament. Paul thinks so many women calls them co-laborers with himself. He uses terminology that would make them peers in the church and in the ministry and not just servants or helpers or something like that. So now, again, if you take this too far, you basically get into a world where there's no difference between the genders. And that's not right. a world that I believe is a biblical mindset. Right. True. Or you get into some sort of progressive view that is all about, you know, oppression and, and freeing people from oppression or whatever. And that gets into some goofy stuff, too. But if you just read what Paul says here and in 1 Corinthians 14, and I have it here in the I have it in the NIV, but I'm going to read it here out of the King James is starting in verse 31. He says, for ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And so he's just said, you can all prophesy one by one and all be comforted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. That basically means if you're doing weird stuff, it's not just the Holy Spirit doing it. It's probably you doing weird stuff too, because the Holy Spirit and you are, you're able to kind of shape that. I think that sometimes people over-spiritualize these things, but that's a different conversation. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And then there's this this phrase, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Okay. And then there's this word in verse 36, what? Okay, so in the NIV, 
it leaves out this word. And this is why it's important to look. Now, it's not really in the original language kind of a full word. It's sort of like, huh? And, and that's, it, it's almost just like a mark in mm. the original language. And so some of the translations don't know what to do with it. But, it, it, you know, a huh or a what or what'd you say sort of mindset. This most scholars, I shouldn't say most scholars, some scholars believe that 34 and 35 are a quotation that Paul is quoting what people said that he said, Hmm. or that they're quoting some other idea that they're presenting to him, like in another letter that they might have sent him saying, you know, let women keep silent in the churches for it's not permitted for them to speak for they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. And then Paul says, what did the word of God originate from you? Basically, oh, are you the only one who owns the word of God? You get to decide who can speak and who can't speak. Did it come from you only? And then he says, if any man let him th- thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are commandments of the Lord. What things? The things where he says, let everybody talk in the church, but do it in an orderly way. So he is basically addressing this. And it's not that, you know, we, uh, we see Paul make other comments about women. There were problems that were happening. There's other things that we need to contextualize in this. But I believe that you can read this passage without taking a progressive view or without taking a fundamentalist you know, sort of a view that would, you know, kind of make women second-class citizens in the church and recognize that Paul was advocating that the church was a participatory event for all people who were believers and in the Lord Jesus, that they could take turns and, and that it was, and he's addressing the, an error that was brought to him with the idea that women were not allowed to participate in that. And he challenges them and says, what are you talking about? Did the word of God originate with you? Are you guys the only ones that have the word? If you're really a prophet, you would know that what I've said said to you already is true. And so this frees Paul from being a male chauvinist. And it also allows us to still embrace the scriptures. So I I just thought that's a really cool thing that is just very commonly missed when people Mm -hmm. look at at that passage. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Incredible. Guess I'll have to have my daughter listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> You're gonna get in trouble for talking about her, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? She keeps saying, "Dad, you gotta mention me on the podcast." When am well, I gonna did. be on the podcast? <laughs> you, you, you're on there. Uh, yep, yep. You didn't say for what reason. You just said you wanted to be on. So, <laughs> um, okay. So, and, and love, 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 love that. So, continuing this discussion of this progressive type Christianity, one of the things that I wanted to bring up is this new kind of buzzword of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Okay. This this, you know, this has become a very common thing. And, you know, I've always said, and I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, it's been a while, and I said to him, I said, you know, one of the things that I feel like, and it just came to me one day, is that some of the things that people need to wrestle with in prayer, because we have these platforms like we do of Facebook and Twitter and all of that, we wrestle with them publicly. And it's almost this virtue, it's just like this virtuous thing. I'm going to wrestle with my faith publicly. And it's like, in, in, in in and of itself, you having questions about your faith is not wrong. The problem is, I feel like we have questions about our faith and we want to deconstruct. I mean, listen, I grew up in the UPCI, and I don't know if, if you guys, I mean, it's a United Pentecostal Church International, apostolic, you know, you, you can't wear makeup, jewelry. Is that a oneness Pentecostal too? Oneness, yes. Okay. They believe yep. in modalism and all of that. All yes, of that. Yes. You know, I was steeped in that for many years, and, and I, I, you know, sorry to my to some people who probably are listening to this, who go to those churches, because that was my life. My, most of my family's still in this, right? And so I had to, I get deconstruct in a sense, or I had to relearn God because I didn't learn God the appropriate way. But when we see the words deconstruct today, it's a total, it's not like, hey, I came out of a cult. And I'm deconstructing and trying to figure out if I'm believing you know, is it what's true. It's more of a, you know what, I, I don't really like what the Bible says. And it doesn't really, it kind of defies my sensibilities. 
and it doesn't kind of agree with the way culture is going. And we're a progressive culture. So I just, I, and it doesn't, it doesn't line up with it. So yeah. God, that can't be God because God would progress, right? God would go along like, and it's this idea. And we've seen this recently with people like Josh Harris, who wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. We see this with Kevin Max, you know, one of the guys from Hawk Nelson, I believe was another one who, 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 you know, and it, but it all starts with deconstructing. So wrestling with these hard things that we should be wrestling with, with God in prayer, saying, God, I just don't understand why love can't just be love. Or why do you create it to where like, if my brother is gay and he wants to date another guy, what's, what's wrong with that? But it doesn't happen in prayer. It happens on Facebook. <laughs> and then what, what ends up happening is the enemy loves that because what he does is he takes that and he does two things. He, he, he caters to your emotions by a bunch of other people and sometimes Christians saying, you know what? I've always wondered about that too. You are so brave for coming out and just and wrestling with that. Like you are so brave. And then you get the mob mentality. You know, you, you, you heard the mob mentality where people are in like a mob and everybody's doing it and it, you just get this adrenaline rush and you start doing it too. It's the same thing that happens on Facebook. And then you get 200 likes because people, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then you get this false sense of being right. And what it does is it sets you up as the person who has this moral standard. That's outside of the Bible. And so, and I know I went, I went on a thing there, but I, I watched this happen all day on Facebook, right? I mean, not that I'm on Facebook all day. I do have a job and other things, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but we see these things happen. So talk to us a little bit when people say, I'm deconstructing, what, what's, what does that really mean? So... You know, this deconstruction thing is interesting because it's really connected to, I think, what we had mentioned briefly on the first episode is this idea of biblical criticism. Mm -hmm. Biblical criticism is really an academic discipline of contextualizing a passage. I mean, to some degree, what I just did in 1 Corinthians 14 would be, I, I view not everybody might not agree, but I view it a, a positive form of biblical criticism, right? Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. looking at the passage. I'm challenging some of the current, you know, interpretations of the passage. But what am I doing? I'm not going outside of the context. I'm not right. changing words. I'm not adding anything to scripture. There are no punctuation or quotations in the Greek language. So we only can can know something is a quotation or has punctuation based upon context that we read it in or seeing some quote or some reference to it, you know, from a similar time period or another book of the Bible. And so passage like that has a degree of ambiguity to it. And so the rules that say somebody like Augustine would give in his book on Christian doctrine, where he would say that if you come across an ambiguous passage, that you should first look for other passages that are about the same topic that aren't ambiguous and take what they mean and apply that to this passage, you know? So if I see that God is a certain way or that God is, you know, is righteous and holy and, and stands against, you know, sin and these sorts of things, but I, I try to, on another passage, twist it in some other way. Or how many other passages show us the reality of heaven and hell? But we have somebody like Rob Bell that went to great lengths to try to tell us that in a couple passages that the word was talking about a, you know, a trash heap on the outskirts of town rather than, than the eternal hell. And so he, he focused on a, uh, the, the minutia and he left all the passages that speak very clearly about these things alone and just highlighted the ambiguous. It's total opposite of how an orthodox view of scripture would ever tell you to contextualize a passage. And so you can deconstruct something if you do it the way that Jesus did it. And here's what I mean. Jesus said, I'm going to tear down the temple. And then went on to say, but I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Mm -hmm. So if you want to deconstruct an understanding that somebody holds that you believe is wrong or against scripture or whatnot, there is freedom for the believer to be able to do that. But we have to not leave it there. We have to then go back and rebuild the faith and the understanding upon the word of God 
so that they are not left in a position of question. You know, one thing kind of maybe playing off a question you asked me last episode was, how do we get here with progressive Christianity? One of the reasons we got here beyond the historical context and the the philosophical context, but the practical side of it is we had the birth of the megachurch and the seeker-sensitive model. And they did a great job winning converts for the Lord, but they did a really poor job of making disciples. And so you had a generation of people that were only hearing one or two verses per service and weren't spending a whole lot of time reading the Bible on their own. And there was a high level of biblical illiteracy. Yes. I mean, I, yep. I was talking to somebody here recently that is, is part of a, a seeker-sensitive church. And I was just trying to talk about basic concepts of scripture. And like, I couldn't, I don't mean this in, a, in an elitist way. I couldn't dumb it down enough mm-hmm. to get them to even understand what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Because their general view of scripture is just a John 3.16, and that's all they know. My you know, and it, it's challenging. I mean, for the pastor, you know, and look, I'm still, I'm not just a writer. I'm an active pastor. I have a church, you know, I, I preach three, four Sundays a month still when I'm not on the road and traveling and those things. And so, you know, I'm doing this, but like there's, you know, 10 years ago, I could preach and talk about Moses and Elijah and David and, and Samuel, and people would nod their head at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. Today, I mentioned certain characters in the Bible and people just look at me like, who? You know, does does he play for the Astros? You know, I mean, like, I mean, like what what's going on here? You know, and it's it's they there's not a we're not coming to the conversation with a knowledge of the word enough to sometimes like you have to start from like scratch. And that's why like things like and again, I'm not I'm not Catholic, although I'm a very Catholic town here in the the uh, the fringe of the University of Notre Dame. But that's why something like. Uh, catechism developed in the church very early on in church history. And, you know, we then kind of call it in the evangelical world, Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, but the seeker sensitive movement kind of demolished that. And so it's hard to bring stuff back after cultures kind of rejected it. It would Mm -hmm. be very, you know, weird to kind of bring that back. But I think there'd actually be a great benefit if we had a revival of Sunday school in the, in the nation as a place to be able to learn and develop some of these teachings to ask questions that you can't always do during the Sunday morning service because of the number of people in the room and how much of a distraction that would be. And so the seeker-sensitive movement gave birth to what? Uh, the emerging church. Mm-hmm. And, and it you know really presented itself as a church in a state of questions. And you know we see figures like Rob Bell and a guy like you know Erwin McManus, who I you know have I've actually interviewed him on my podcast show. And I don't say that as an insult to him, but I, I, I would include him in the, in the emerging church. And potentially, potentially venturing towards the Christian left, right? And mm-hmm. and it's if he's if he's not there already, and I, I don't know that for a fact, but like the we see these individuals that have really developed their worldview based upon questions and challenging orthodoxy, and the where the emerging church didn't really give it. I mean, Rob Bell gave virtually zero answers. It was just all about questions. And I, I, I would just, you know, I've never met Rob. I've, I've written some pretty strong things, uh, uh, blog posts and reviews of, of books like Love Wins, et cetera, that have, have been fairly uh, viral in their you know, presentation online. But I've never met him personally. So this isn't a personal statement about him as a person. But from the moment I saw my first NUMA video and everybody was raving about it, and I was in the Church of Christ at this time. I was, I, you know, I had a very different probably, theology than I even do now. I just remember seeing that and going, there's something about this whole thing that makes me uneasy. Mm. And, and I didn't have any reason. I didn't have the knowledge then or the history to even know why. But the question style of teaching, to me, is not something that we see presented throughout church history. Mm-hmm. We see it in Greek philosophy. We see it in some other teaching styles. We don't see it the same way within, within Christian history. Christian history points to answers and specifically the answer, which, you know, who we know is Jesus. And, you know, there are scriptures and verses that we can take people to, to instruct them that, you know, Paul tells us that every, every word of God is, is, you know, useful for correcting, teaching, you know, training, righteousness, rebuking, all these different things. And so, you know, we, the emergent church majored in questions. The Christian left, though, changed that. The Christian left is not asking any questions anymore. 
They have all the answers that they need. They've already made their decision and they have doubled down on their position that the scriptures are not infallible and that there is a reva, secret knowledge, this gnosis that exists that they have woke to that they now possess that make them more enlightened than every other Christian on the planet and possibly more than Paul and Jesus for the ones that are really super spiritual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Here's the thing. I think a lot of people follow people without knowing even their theological background. And because and, and, you kind of hit on that to say, you know, some people, it, it, it's, it's, and I've said it's kind of the five-year church. I've had friends that go to seeker-sensitive churches and they'll say, hey, Kev, do you think this is a good church for me to go to? And I say, well, you could probably go there for five years. After five years, you're going to want more or you're just, or you're going to regress. Like, it's just, it, you can't, you won't go any further. And I think that when we have these influencers on social media and all these places and people are looking at YouTube videos, they, there's no research of who these people are, right? You know, just like our show, like there's no way. I mean, I just had somebody. You know, we've got a long list of people that want to be on the show. And I told, I told this one person, you know, because she's one of those people that books people on people's shows. And I said, I have to vet people, not because I want everyone to agree with me on everything, because none of us are going to agree on everything. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the fundamental things of scripture, because this is not a debate show, unfortunately, I'm not going to have this person on. Right. They don't even believe in the Jesus. You know, I literally dealt with this this week. I said, mm-hmm. this person doesn't even believe in the Jesus that I, that, that I espouse. Like, why, yeah. why would I, you know? And so, again, but how many people in their regular lives are doing that? So when they see the Jen Hatmaker say things like, well, you know, I, I think God accepts all of us and we shouldn't worry about, you know, people being gay or whatever the case she, she said, <laughs> it's like, Okay, well, we need to now figure out what Jen Hatmaker actually believes at the base. Like, what is the basis of this, right? Yes. But no one does that because they look at the celebrity status and they go, well, Jen Hatmaker says it. She seems to be a virtuous woman. So I'm going to, I'm going to follow her because she's saying that, you know what? I should be pro-people. Why am yeah. I not pro-people? And hashtag sorry to this community that I haven't been better. And it's like, Guys, we can we can learn to love people where they are, but also love them enough, like Jesus, to help them to, to to disciple them. Which is a huge word, and you said that um is the this the lack of discipleship, but to disciple them to Jesus, right? To help them to understand who Jesus is. Once they understand who Jesus is, there's so many things you're just not going to want to do, and if you do want to do it, you'll realize it's wrong. And Paul said, hey, there's things I want to do that I can't do. You know, there's things that I want to do that I can't, you know, and it's the battle of the flesh, right? And we realize that's just what it is. So, and I know you're the guest, so I don't want to keep, but see, people like Hey, I'm taking notes, baby. This is (laughs) good stuff. (laughs) People like you get me excited. Uh, I just, I love, I love this, but it's true. We have to, one, we need to vet. Who are you listening to, right? Let's know who we're following and what their the basis is is it rooted in the bible but yeah i, I the deconstructing thing for me has just been a very you know cuz i i listen to a, a a fairly liberal podcast every week it's a christian liberal podcast and one of the reasons why i listen to it is just for research purposes yeah. to see what's out there what people are saying you know and i i, I just looked at one of the posts and i probably get in trouble for this I looked at one of the posts from, from one of the, the hosts today, and he said, he said, happy Pride Month, Jesus loves you. And it's all of these people under there that's going, wow, I've never heard a Christian say this before, and I hope this becomes the norm. Yeah. And if I were to say, and I know, if I were to rebut, re- say anything, I am a hate monger. I hate, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I just, I, I don't, it, it, for the life of me, I feel like we'll never be the unified church. You know, Francis Chan just wrote this book, you know, Until Unity, right? 
we'll never be this unified church until we come back to the Bible. I, I just don't know how we're going to, you know? So anyways, I really appreciate you talking a little bit up there about, you know, deconstructing and, and all of that. You also talk in your book a little bit about common words that stolen by the Christian left. You say things like, God bless you, inclusive, God's plan, unconditional love, social justice, and spiritual moral obligation. Can you talk a little bit about this social justice? Because that's a big buzzword as well. It's a big one. And it's, you know, this really brings us into this conversation about liberation theology and, and also what's known as critical theory. And, you know, for sake of time, liberation theology is basically a, it's a relatively new viewpoint. It was really formulated in the 50s by a Catholic priest that was very infatuated with Marxism. His name was uh, Gutierrez. And he sort of combined this Catholic view with Marxism and began, you know, calling this liberation theology. In America, it took on a different form. Certainly, the Catholic variant made its way here eventually as well. But it also was picked up within African-American churches and became known as Black liberation theology. And so there was a writer named James Cone who was very pivotal in that. He's got one of his books I just read here recently. Uh, it's now you know 50 years old, and James Cone has passed away, but it's called The Theology of Black Liberation. And this is some of the most disturbing literature you will ever read that has any sort of Christian label on it. Cohn speculates that, you know, and it seems to, I guess to be fair, he seems to infer and suggest that although it might not be the best way of doing the will of God, there are certain situations that might call for throwing what he quotes as a Molotov cocktail into, quote, Whitey's storefront and that this is a form of doing the will of God to push back against oppression. He talks about doing, quote, whatever it takes. He criticizes people that don't understand riots and, and looting and the burning down of cities to push back against oppression, that this is actually the Christian response because God is black would be a quote that he has. And anyone who is not oppressed is an oppressor. And so this is, you know, people go, oh, wait, I thought we were talking about social justice. All of a sudden we're talking about race, right? It is interrelated. And, yeah. and the social justice gospel is the, it is the softened version of, it's like liberation theology light. It, mm -hmm. And it, it, that, you know, if it, were, if it were a soda, it'd be diet liberation, right? It's just like this light version of the real thing that has been presented to the church. And it has been really grabbed a hold of by certain denominations, I think, have, have embraced it more than others. Originally, some of the more liturgical denominations, Episcopals, Catholics, you know, Lutherans certainly grabbed a hold of it. Not every denomination, not every sect of those, but, but certainly the, the more liberal variants. It was also very widely embraced by the Vineyard. And I, I'm a fan. I, I think that, you know, there's elements of Vineyard Church that I really like. But when you look at Vineyard Church, you either see really strong, charismatic Vineyard Churches or you see very liberal social justice-minded vineyard churches. There's not a lot of uniformity among those. And I think people will go to one, love it, and then go to another one and get you know, sucked into liberal ideology. And so this social justice concept really came in there. And then, of course, through a lot of Christian pop culture, you know, and every concert you go to, it's, they're talking Compassion International, they're talking you know, adoption of kids. And you know, look on the surface, all that is great. A lot of these organizations, though, are now teaching critical race theory. They're embracing these things. And, and I'm not saying that about, say, compassion necessarily, but I'm saying that a lot of our large Christian nonprofits have been affected by this. I'm actually doing some work on this right now. Not prepared to release all that information, but sure. that will be something else that I'll be releasing here in the future is some more information and stats out there on on how much these kind of destructive doctrines have affected a lot of our really, uh, you know, mainstream Christian, you know, organizations, much in the same way that the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or the YMCA used to be great, strong Christian organizations. And over time, they drifted into progressivism. We're seeing that with a lot of our, you know, kind of programs that are focused on, you know, feeding, adopting kids or sponsoring kids in other countries, drilling wells, that sort of stuff. A lot of those have moved away from the gospel is the, is the primary thing 
into some sort of secondary viewpoint. Some of them have actually embraced, you know, critical theory practices in their hiring, you know, for staffers, et cetera. And they're, you know, strongly promoting that. And probably all you have to do to figure out who's who is look at their Twitter feed like right now today, you know, to see how many of them said happy Pride Month, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's going to start telling you kind of where some people are, you know, in terms of that view. So, so this social justice gospel, it is, it is just a softened version of liberation theology or critical race theory that teaches that basically man is good, but the system is bad, which is the exact same thing that Marxism teaches. Man is good, but, but the system is bad. Ironically, it's the exact same thing that Gnostics taught was that man's spirit is good, but the universe is bad. And we're trapped in this bad universe. And so we, again, we trace this all the way back to the New Testament. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And so this new view of liberation theology or critical theory, it presents that what we have to do as good Christians is we have to rebel against this oppressive system. And we do that by speaking truth to power. Uh, We do that by apologizing for any part that we had in that oppression or any part that we didn't have in that oppression for that matter. And the only two sins that an oppressed person can commit, according to James Cone, is one, being nice to your oppressors, which is why there was recently the woman who prayed, God, help me to hate white people. Mm. And, and so she's, she's doing that because it's a very established theology. According, that was her confessing that she has sinned, according to liberation theology, because she has been nice to her, quote, oppressors. And so she was asking for God's help to hate white people. And this is something that, that Cohn criticized the minority communities about is because they were, he viewed them as being too nice to their oppressors, you know, the people that he deemed their oppressors in those situations. The other sin of the oppressed community is to fail to acknowledge that they are oppressed. So, you know, if I speak here very frankly here on this conversation, Kevin, you as an African-American man, yes. if you say I'm not oppressed, according to liberation theology, you are in sin. Okay. And that is, mm. that is a view. Now, are there problems? Are there issues? Are there problem people? Are there maybe, you know, certain areas of society or even of the, the nation that are more prone to certain viewpoints than others? I, I am sure. And this is not to discount anyone's personal experience that they've had. But the moment we take a personal negative experience and we make it a universal experience, we are robbing people of personal responsibility. And I have a personal responsibility as a believer to walk in love. And I can't apologize for anybody else. I can't ask for repentance or, or forgiveness for anybody else. At the end of the day, what scripture shows is that we are responsible for us. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that, that is a major difference of really socialism, liberation, theology, critical theory, and Christianity is that Christianity teaches personal responsibility, personal accountability, personal stewardship, socialism, liberation, theology, critical race theory to teach things like state run, state mandated generosity, you know, mm-hmm. really, which is just called spreading the wealth around. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it just every one of these views, they're contrary to personal responsibility. And I go on and on about this, but as a basic understanding, I think that it's important that Christians understand that there is a difference. And James Cone is the one specifically who says that the Jesus that he worships and that that is the the black Christ or the black Messiah is not the same Christ that's been presented by church history for the last 2000 years. And he would criticize church history because he would call it white. Now, what he failed to acknowledge was that both Athanasius Origen and Augustine, probably three of the leading thinkers in the church in the first, you know, several centuries of church history, were all from Africa, right? And so the roots of the gospel, yes, we find it in Jerusalem, but we also find it from Alexandria. And, you know, Augustine was from Hippo and and different places in Northern Africa. There's, There's always been an African influence in the gospel. And not once have we ever seen in church history until really the last hundred years a push towards anybody even caring what color of pigment or how much, you know, basically just what Jesus's skin color was, right? The melanin is skin color, like nobody cared because it was not a central aspect to the conversation or to the gospel because we weren't holding on to his physical body. We were holding on to his divinity that was manifest through his death, burial, and resurrection. And critical race theory, liberation theology, 
socialist, you know, views of Christianity, they push us to hold on to a temporal view of the gospel rather than any, you know, to be elevated into any sort of eternal mindset. So that was a big, you know, montage there. So apologies for that, but hopefully that at least helps somewhat. No, No, that's good, man. And that's, you know, we always say, you know, we, we, you know, when we have certain topics that we want to talk about, we want to bring the experts on. And I, and I will say this, you know, be the bridge. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this Latasha Morrison thing that's happening is be the bridge. And I would, I'm just, I, fortunately, I have to warn pastors because I had a pastor friend of mine, actually his wife said, Hey, they're, they, they, this is what we received at church today. Could you look <laughs> over this? And, she, and she's like, I really feel like I just, just doesn't seem right. And it was this Be the Bridge with Latasha Morrison. And it's, it's basically critical race theory yeah. repackaged for the church. Yeah, 100%. It, 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 it's what it is. It's like, yeah. by default, and, and we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about this in depth, actually, Kyle and I, on a future episode. But, you know, it's basically saying you intrinsically because you're white, you have to accept the fact that you are inherently racist. Like that is just who you are. And again, I would say to anybody that's listening, please, I mean, you're, 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 you're hearing this from an African-American guy. Like we have to get back to scripture guys. Like we are literally going off the edge of the earth. Like this is not this is not biblical. Like there is no such thing as we're all, listen, we are born in sin and we're shaped in iniquity. By default, we have our biases. We have on both sides, on all sides, we have our things, right? But you can't, who goes to church and teaches one side to say, you're just, you're racist. Like I, you know, you have to accept the fact that you are. And here's how to change that. (laughs) How do, how does that, how is that for unity? Like how, you know, and, and, and I know somebody would say, well, but, but if you don't address that, then you're skipping over the elephant in the room. The elephant is in the room because we've created the elephant. That's the problem. I, I would guess that that racism has increased so much in the last, or I'll say this way. I would guess racial diver, uh, racial, the chasm between races yes. has, has widened so much in this last year because we've been told it's there. And I mean, yes. uh, you know, I mean, like I, I've talked to so many non non blacks, right? So many white people that are walking down the street going, I've never felt like I was racist my entire life. And I see three black guys walking down the street and I start worrying, are they going to beat me up? Are they going to hit me or what's going to happen? And because they've, they've been told that there is this division, that they are this certain way and that that everybody, you know, who doesn't look like them is this certain way. And, and it, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, I mean, it's, it's so tragic, but it's done exactly what they wanted to do. I mean, this is, this is a major effort to create disruption and that disruption worked. I mean, and, you know, not to go conspiracy theory on this, but like there was a push, whether it was by the left or whether it was just by the powers of this world to put a cosmic shift in this nation, in place in the last 12 months. And it was successful to do that. It disrupted the direction of the country. But the agenda of the left that came in here is not, it's not for the church and it's not for this nation. And we are seeing both of those things deteriorated. Can you be a Democrat and be a Christian? Yes. Can you be a Democrat and be a disciple? It's a lot harder but I think that, you know, are there pro-life Democrats out there that love the Lord and love scripture? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say that you have to vote sure. exactly how somebody else does to be a Christian. But if you are, I had a Catholic priest say to me, I was meeting with him, a conservative guy. We'd kind of heard about each other. And I'm in a town where there's a lot of a liberal and leftist Catholic priests. And this guy stands out as one of the few really strong conservative Catholic priests. And I said, you know, how do you deal with this? You know? I'm in a, I have a congregation of mostly people that, that, you know, are, are conservative. I said, you're in the Catholic church. That's a harder deal here in the, in an academic town like South Bend uh, with the university of Notre Dame. We have Pete Buttigieg, who was the mayor of our, of our city, who was, you know, democratic candidate for, for president, you know, openly gay, you know, et cetera. And, and he goes, here's the deal. He goes, when I read the party platforms and he goes, I've done that. I read the democratic party platform and I read the Republican party platform. 
He goes within the Democratic Party platform as a Catholic. There are what we called him talking nine intrinsic sins listed that if I accept the party platform, that I would have to automatically commit by embracing that within Mm -hmm. the Democratic Party platform. He goes, there's nine intrinsic sins. Mm -hmm. He goes, when I read the Republican platform, he goes, there's actually zero intrinsic sins listed in their language. He goes, that doesn't mean there's not sin on the Republican side. There's all sorts of sin on the Republican side, too. Right. You know, we're going to be fair here. We are, as you mentioned earlier, we one of the tenets of Christianity is the belief that we are depraved, you know, that right. that without God, then we see corrupt conservatives and we see godless conservatives that are existing right now. And they're stirring up all sorts of trouble and name calling and, you know, meme wars and all this other stuff that's out there. And I'm not I'm not for that. But as a party platform, you have a platform of tyranny and you have a platform of freedom and the platform of tyranny is bringing with it you know, intrinsic sins that are categorically against scriptural ideas. You have to Mm -hmm. reject the biblical view of marriage, gender, sexuality, um, personal responsibility, all these different things in order to embrace it. We have to wake up. We have to wake up and we have to see that there is a battle that's going on beyond this. And and I think that this is not just about theology. It's about, it's about eternity. It's about, you know, it's about the future of of this nation, sure, but I'm not just here to try to build a utopia on earth. I hope the nation thrives. I hope America continues to be a free republic as it has been. But at the end of the day, I care more about people's eternity even than that. The cool That's thing right. is I think those things go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. As we help, you know, as we help expose people, you know, to the freedom that we have in Christ, it promotes a freedom mindset and a, a source of liberty in this nation. So sorry to go political on you, but um it's hard for these things not to play. No, that's probably the best way I've heard that explained, to be honest with you. Because, I mean, being on staff, we have meetings and we just feel like it's just, it's so heavy. And you said it in the last episode, but there are just things that the church is not ready to handle. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I even talked about how we had to educate ourselves on how to respond in a series on sexuality because it's just different. And I mean, there, I mean, that, but that list can go on because of what you, how you just explained it. I mean, we have to wake up. We have to become educated because we do have to respond. Yeah. Um, it's good. Yeah. I, and, you know, I just think that at the end of the day, you know, and I'm thinking about listeners that is probably listening going, okay. So, because <laughs> we have listeners on both sides, you know, sure. that uh, of, of this and, I guess my question, Lucas, to you would be, what, how do we get to that center? Like, what, what is it? How do, what does this look like on a Tuesday morning, right? Because, you know, we, we, we say, you know, we need to be biblical. We need to, you know, because you think about sources and people are like, well, but this person has millions of followers. And I, I just don't understand why would I believe this guy versus this guy? Like, all of those things go through people's heads. You know, does this show have an agenda? Right. You know, are we right? Right. Are we trying to push an agenda? And I'll tell you right now, as the host of this show, the only agenda I have is to get us back to the Bible. (laughs) You know, right, left, middle. I don't I could care less. What I want is that we are the bride of Christ, because I feel like we're in the greatest moment of the church's life right now. We can shine the absolute brightest. Mm -hmm. So my thing is. For the person who's like, you know what, I just, you know, I just feel like you guys are just right, or I feel like you guys are just this or that. How does this look on a Tuesday morning with a mom who is who is just trying to raise her her kids? Um, maybe she's a single mom. How does she find truth? And yes, the Bible. But how how do we get to to be centered on what's important? What does that look like? I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly. I guess, you know, to keep this short kind of as we, as we wind down here, I think that it's yes, the Bible and scripture tells, you know, we read the old covenant where it says, you know, write this on your doorpost, you know, speak it over your children. You know, I mean, there's just this, this, just this mulling over this, this mastication, you know, chewing this up and, you know, in our, you know, just getting it really pushed into every single crevice of our minds and, and thoughts. And I think that that is something that we do really poorly as believers. 
And and I think that we have a tendency to kind of see scripture as, as sort of trite or, yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, but give me something else. Right. And so like, it's, it's like, no, it's like for reals, you know, like we've got to come back to this. And, and, and I think that that begins to, you know, reestablish our viewpoint. Now, also getting other good content in, making sure, you know, knowing what your kids are watching, knowing what, you know, they're putting into their minds and protecting them from, you know, sources, people, information, sometimes, you know, teachers, as you talked about, you know, in the, in the last episode, like that are, are seeking to, you know, contradict the word. You know, I think that people that want to get more involved, get on the school board, have those conversations about what are we teaching about religion here? You know, and and I think we have we have we have, there's an apathy. I haven't really talked about the things that exist on the right a whole lot. So you know, we might uh, I'd be down for another episode sometime in the future to talk about the problems that we got to deal with on the right. But you know, one of the yeah. things I address in the book are is this cycle of what I call worry, anger, apathy, and that we see a lot of the church that's caught in this. They get worried about all this stuff. What are we going to do? I'm so worried, and you know, Biden and you know Obama and all this, and then they get <laughs> they get worried, and then they get mad. And then that that anger comes out and name calling, uh, distancing themselves from people, meme culture, everything else. And then after a while, they throw their hands up in the air and they go, it's never going to work. You're never going to fix them. You're never going to change them. And they go into the worst of the three. And that is apathy. And apathy, I believe, is where a large percentage of the church lives. Mm -hmm. It's why only 10 percent of the people are volunteering. It's why only, you know, smaller percentage of the people are giving and being the main donors. And that apathy is also crept into these issues. If we really want to take back the church, if we really want to restore orthodoxy, if we really want to protect you know, this nation from going awry, we have to put time and energy and effort and money and finances in doing it. And you know, I go to local political meetings, uh, every single one that I can that I'm in town for. I go to, to you know, conservative political meetings to hear what's going on in the community, to address it. I own a media company. We, we haven't even really talked about that other than mention the bio, but, you know, I've worked in, I've spent a lot of time in Hollywood. I've worked with, you know, major studios and distributing content, et cetera. I've done deals with Sony, Redbox, Netflix, you know, Walmart and others. And so I, I go there and I consult on, on media. You know, if they need help, I'm there to help them. You know, I, I put my dollars into it. I put my, you know, my, my employees working on things that I believe in and that I can help further. I mean, those are things, and I'm not here to, you know, to just talk about and toot my horn here on this. You know, there's so many people that are doing way more than I am in that space, but I'm, I, I want you to see that there's ways that we can all get involved. I'm using my talents and resources, something that I know to be able to help with that. You know, if you're a physician, get involved in the conversation about all the politicizing of medicine right now, you know, let get in that show, show your expertise, flex in that space. You know, if you if you have a you know, if you're a parent, get involved in the schools. If you are if you are if you're a pastor, get involved in the local bring a group of pastors together to talk about the issues. You know, cut down the denominational lines and say, hey, can we just agree that we're gonna disagree on some some small stuff so that we can agree on the bigger stuff? You know, what if what if uh, 50 pastors in a community went to the mayor and said, look, we're not gonna stand for a critical race theory in our churches? You know, and we're just going to make a statement. We're going to do a press conference and we're going to talk about how this is anti-biblical and we're going to stand up for these things, you know, and, and I mean, I'll give myself ideas even as we're going here, but like, you know, these there's, there's practical things that we can do every single day and we can have more influence. My church is called influence church. There's no I it's N F L U E N C E for a reason. And that is, I believe that as Christians, we are called to be influential. And, you know, we've seen that in maybe some exaggerated ways in you know kind of the health and wealth message but i believe as christians we are called to make this world a better place also to be ambassadors for the next life you know what augustine called the two cities the city of man and the city of our god and you know i want to be a champion for the kingdom of heaven and really going out and making disciples say hi to people at the grocery store talk to them don't be the stuffy christian that everybody is going oh christians are mean and they're judgmental and yeah some are but we can choose today to show them a different version. We can show them mm-hmm. grace and truth yes. combined and what that looks like, that we can love somebody even while they're in their sin, because that's where Christ loved us, and that we can then lead them to truth and righteousness you know, through that pursuit. And so I go on and on about those things, but, but I, I think that, I mean, that's hopefully just a taste of what practical Christianity can look like 
when it's really applied, you know, in this right way. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so, so good. Guys, I'm telling you, you've got to go out and you've got to get his books. We've got listeners in Indiana. I'm not sure why you're not going to his church. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna right get, on. I'm not, I'm not going to get in trouble with your pastor, but I'll, t- I'll tell you this. He's a person that is committed to truth wherever the, it, it leads him. And, you know, and that's what we need. We, we need pastors with a backbone and that will stand up. And he's doing it everywhere. He's not just doing it in his church. He's actually doing it in the community, in the marketplace. And that is absolutely incredible. Guys, his name is Lucas Miles. It's lucasmiles.org. Again, that's lucasmiles.org. And of course, it's Influence Church, Influence Without the I. And we also have the two books. So it's Good God, the one we want to believe in, but are afraid to embrace. And then, of course, The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. And so we just ask you guys to go out and support as much as you can. And we really appreciate, Lucas, you coming on for another episode. Really appreciate that. And Kyle, can you tell them where to find all of our stuff as well? Yeah. We're on social media. We also have Thinking Out Loud Podcast Media, which is our website. And so on social media, you can find us Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Thinking Out Loud Podcast. On Facebook, we also have a Thinking Out Loud Podcast fan page. If you go with us on Instagram, we're thinking underscore out loud podcast and our symbol, our branding is pretty clear. So you'll be able to find us, but we love our social media. We tend to ask questions. We try to get conversations started. You can find all of the advertisements and promotions there. Um, As we have a new episode every Wednesday, you'll be able to find out exactly what we're talking about and even join in on the conversation. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And we look forward to getting around the table and having an awesome chat next week. God bless you guys. We love you.